already had a great number of messages uh, through the summer series, and it's only the second day of summer, so that's really good. Um, my message today is actually about building a legacy, living stone by living stone. And this message was originally going to be titled, The Rolling Stones in Our Lives, and I just thought that would be way too much of a distraction. We'd be sitting here thinking about, you know, those four old guys. Um, so <laughs> they sometimes look like stones, but that's, uh, you know, that's another whole topic. Uh, my message actually comes to, uh, together today from a collection of ideas that have come to me over the last few months. And in all honesty, it takes me a few months to sort of put, this, put these things together. Um, I have such huge admiration for Pastor Terry and others who do this week after week and give us very deep, deep, you know, great messages to take away. And uh, for me, it takes me a while. So um, what I do, just to give you a little bit of the process, is I, as I start with praying that God would give me an idea. Just give me an idea that I could put in my head um, that would eventually move from my head to my heart and then come together in, into a message. And for today's message, it actually started with um, an idea that came from my daily Bible devotional. Every even year for the uh, past few years, I've read the Bible all the way through from the beginning to the end. So this is 2008, so I'm about halfway through the Bible this year. And it so happens that um, when I'm reading in the program that I have, the first half of the year is you get a big chunk of the Old Testament. Um, and you actually get some great stories, the stories of the Israelites um, and their history and the journeys that they take. And in this year's reading, I kept noticing the number of times in the Old Testament that there are references to stones and to rocks as both examples and symbols and metaphors, as markers of events, if you will, and symbols for how we're supposed to worship and how we're supposed to think about God. Now, about the same period, my wife Patty and I were up in New England, and these stone images were rolling around in my head. Yes, rocks were rolling around in my head. And I began to notice these stone walls that are so prevalent in the East Coast. And what was amazing to me, and is, is that the number of these walls that you see when you're there, I mean, literally, they're everywhere. They crawl their way through fields, through woods, built who knows how long ago, and with no idea by who, but still hundreds of years later, still standing and serving the purpose, the same purpose that they were actually built for. And it's not just in New England. As I began to do some research, you can see the stone walls are pretty much found just about everywhere. So here I am reading about all of these stones in the Bible, and I'm seeing these stone walls, and it came to me that these stone walls are actually like the legacies of our lives. We're building our own legacy wall, our own testament to others, day by day, stone by stone, living stone by living stone, if you will. And I thought, you know, this is a notion that's worth exploring as a part of this summer series. So what I would like to do in our time is I want to look at four particular stones that are noteworthy within the Bible and see if we can apply the learnings into our own lives. Now, it's probably worth stopping for a second and mentioning that not all the references and perspectives that can be taken about stones are always positive. I mean, in our common language, sometimes we'll refer to people who get in our way as stumbling stones. You know, they're just a stumbling stone. Um, I'm a long-distance runner, and one of the things you totally fear is getting a stone bruise, you know, at the bottom of your foot, and it just really hurts. 
Um, or, you know, you, you hear somebody say, you know, they're like a, you know, you're, you're like a millstone hanging around my neck. You know, millstone, that's not a good thing. Big millstone takes you all the way down to the bottom. So not all references in our vernacular, in our language, are positive. And it's true that stones can either be a positive or a negative in our lives. And actually, we're going to spend some time talking about both. But let's start with one of those positive stones, uh, one that should be familiar with just about everybody. It's the smallest stone of the four that we're going to talk about today. This stone is the centerpiece in the, story, in the story of David and Goliath. Now, we all know the story of the small shepherd boy, David, the musician, who fights on behalf of Israel against the Philistine giant, Goliath. And he slays the giant with a little stone. I mean, a little stone that looks something like that or a little stone that looks something like this. Now, the Bible tells us that David was a youth. Now, you can sort of imagine what a youth would be, and no one quite knows, was he small like the fourth and fifth grade boys that I teach in Sunday school class, or was he early on a teenager or early in his uh, adult life? But here's what I know from the fourth and fifth graders all the way through your youthful days. Um, you're growing up. You're starting to look like you grow up. You think you're already grown up. And you do things that you have an amazing amount of courage and vigor and passion for. That's just what boys do. And then on the flip side, there's this giant, this giant Goliath. Now, by many people's measurements, Goliath could have been nine feet tall, or he might have been all the way up to 11 feet, four inches tall. Now, to give you some perspective on that, that's about four feet taller than Kevin Garnett or Shaquille O'Neal, okay? <laughs> It's a big guy. Now, imagine you got a Kevin Garnett or Sha uh, Shaquille O'Neal four feet taller, and they got their football outfit on. Not their basketball clothes, but their football outfit. Imagine, you know, Goliath with his armor. He's starting to look huge. And if he looks big and huge already to these grown men who can't defeat him, imagine how gargantuan he looks to a boy or to a youth. So there's David reaching into his pouch to pick out one of the small, smooth stones for his sling. And if, I can, if, I, if it was me, I can imagine I would not take my eyes off of the big guy, right? I would be reaching in, pulling it out of my pouch, putting it in my sling, you know, and he's standing there probably looking at, what, you know, what's this boy? What's this boy about? Where's his, where's his sword? David chose not to pick up the sword. He just picked up a small stone and he puts it in his sling, and he brings it back, and he lets it go, and pow, right in the forehead. Right smack in the middle of the forehead. And as you can see in your handout, in 1 Samuel 17, 50, what the Bible says, David triumphed. He triumphed over the Philistine giant with only a stone and a sling. David and Israel have conquered the Philistines, David goes on to become the king of Israel and a direct ancestor of Jesus. It's all a very simple story around a little tiny stone. But what does it tell us? I see three things in the stone that David used to kill the giant. First, I see that David was convicted to take on the giant. No one was telling him to do so. In fact, it was just the opposite. People were trying to talk him out of it. But God was speaking to him and telling him, that he should be the one. He should be the one to slay the giant. And he listened. Second, David was totally committed to what he was getting ready to do. 
I mean, if he had missed, right, and, and he missed the, gi the giant, or even worse yet, if he had wounded him, you can only imagine what was going to happen next. David was going to die. David had the level of commitment that was all about no going back. And lastly, David was nothing if not, if not courageous. I personally don't know what, it, what kind of courage it actually takes to go into battle. I mean, we see it now in our generation with the troops that go back and forth to the Middle East. But to lay your life on the line for something, I mean, is there any greater courage that you can imagine of? You know, followers of Jesus also have another example to follow of someone who laid his life on the line for us. That's a great, a great example. But since most of us don't have to face that ultimate challenge, you know, we're actually given other challenges. I mean, think about how hard it is sometimes to even have the courage to share our faith. You know those moments in a conversation when someone leaves the door open just a little bit? where you have the chance to sort of reach in and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, or, you know, I attend church, or maybe I serve in my church. Sometimes we take that opportunity, sometimes we don't. Many times, I think it's the level of courage we have that's the difference. And oh, by the way, the courage is just as hard for someone like myself that has been following the Lord for a long time as it is someone who is just learning and starting on their spiritual journey. You know, it'd be great if actually all the times that it was that obvious about the opportunity that we have to be courageous. Most of the times it's not that obvious. More often than not, it's that moment when it's a choice of a word that comes from our mouth or it's an action that we can take that where we can either fit in with the rest of the crowd or we can stand silent or we can choose a different word or we can show another example that is Christ-like. Those moments take a lot, a lot of courage, too. David's little stone that showed his conviction, that showed David's commitment and David's courage, we, too, can build into our life legacy wall, that little stone. A second stone that I would like to talk about is actually the stone that was the catalyst for this message. At the end of the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, there's a stone that Joshua, the leader of the Israelites at the time, uses just before his death to make a critical point with the leaders of the tribe of Israel. To set the stage for you, we all know the story of Moses and the Israelites who wandered around in the desert for 40 years trying to find the promised land. Moses actually never gets to take the Israelites to see the promised land. And instead, what God does is he delivers them a new leader when Moses dies. That new leader's name is Joshua. And now it's his task and it's his challenge to lead the people across the River Jordan and deliver them to their new home. What I find amazing and, and, and actually fascinating in the story of Moses and Joshua and the Israelites is that during the 40 years that they're in the desert, what happens over and over is that God would show himself to them in miraculous ways, very visible and very physical ways. He did that in the Old Testament. He was a very present God in forms like fire coming from the sky, or supernatural ways like when through Moses he delivered the plagues on Egypt and the Pharaoh. Things that would seem so obvious today that there was a God who was very present and real. But if you spend time reading the Old Testament, and you should, the pattern's always the same. 
God does something amazing. Everyone starts worshiping him and following the Lord. And then over time, they drift. They drift back to their other idols and their other gods. And then the Lord comes in, and he does something very visible and usually very frightening. And sure enough, everybody repents, and then they start worshiping him again. And then guess what happens? Over time, they drift away. And this happens over and over and over and over. Back to the stone of Joshua. Joshua's seen this pattern happen too many times as well. So as the Israelites are now in the promised land, Joshua pulls them all together and basically says to the people, hey gang, we're in a really bad cycle here. We continue to do the same thing over and over and over. And so far, God's been, you know, pretty merciful, but it's got to stop. And now's the time. So he calls out to the people to make a public and final commitment, a new covenant, if you will, with God, that they're going to put away all the old idols, put away all the old gods, and they're going to follow the Lord continuously once and for all. And he asked them to make this commitment a few times, and he gets these resounding agreements. Yes, 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 that's what we're going to do. But he feels like there needs to be more. So he calls for a witness to this covenant. Well, it's all the people that are there. He doesn't have another witness. So what's he do? He rolls over a large stone underneath an oak tree, and he says in front of all of the people that as a reminder and the cementing of their commitment, and actually let's look at what he says. Look in your handout. Joshua 24, 27. Joshua said to all the people, This stone has heard everything the Lord said to us. It will be a witness to testify against you if you go back on your word to God. This stone, it's going to be a witness. The stone hearing all that has been said, it will always remember the commitment. Now, what a great thing for the people because... You know, what a great symbol and reminder for them. I mean, when their own hearts would start to harden and they could look at this stone as a marker, a marker of the covenant, so they would never forget and they would actually never drift back. So what struck me about this story is that Joshua was using the stone as a metaphor for being accountable. Joshua's stone became the stone of accountability. You know, accountability is a very, very powerful word. We actually hear it a lot in today's business vernacular, you know, that CEOs and boards should be accountable. Well, you know what it means? It means to be subject to an obligation, to be liable, to be answerable. Bottom line, it means we're going to be what we say and not go back on our word. And if we do, we take the full blame, we take the full responsibility, and we take the full set of consequences of our actions and our decisions. No one else to blame but me, so I'm going to be steadfast. Well, here's what I think. I don't think we're actually that different than the Israelites. You see, God gives us this story in the Old Testament because it's the story of the nature of who we are. You know, I mean, I do the same things. This is why I know it's true. When do I feel the closest to God? Well, many times it's when I'm right here in this building, sitting where you're sitting, with my fellow believers, you, worshiping and learning about the Lord. And when I'm here, I make notes to myself while Pastor Terry is teaching, and I make commitments on those things I'm going to change in my life, and I'm going to be steadfast, and I'm going to be strong. And then comes Monday. 
And I will usually start my Monday morning with my prayer time and devotional. So I'm sort of still hanging in there. And then comes the rest of Monday. And what happens is, is that I don't purposefully drift to the other things. But the other things in life, the little other idols, start to take over my thoughts. They start to take over my time. And before the week is gone, my mind is saying, hmm, what were those commitments that I made last Sunday? It's a human nature pattern that we see in the Israelites. It's a pattern we live in our lives today. It's the human pattern. But Joshua's stone of accountability says it doesn't have to be that way. The cycle, the pattern can be broken. See, Joshua's stone can be placed firmly in the legacy wall of our lives. And we can come back to it over and over and use this stone to remind ourselves that we are accountable to what we say. We are accountable to what we believe, and we're accountable for the life that we're supposed to be living. Now, one way to do this, I'll give you a secret, is you can, to place this stone in your lives, it's by having others close to you who will help hold you accountable, whether they know they're doing it or not. When I was the CEO of Snowcap, we hired two people, not totally by my doing, who happened to attend Cornerstone to come work within our company. Whether they knew it or not, they were accountability stones for me. Because you see, I couldn't be one person at work Monday through Friday and then be a different person here on Sunday, not in front of them. I used to like to have them sit really close to me within earshot. That kept me accountable for those words that sometimes come out of your mouth in business that you never would use here. <laughs> you know, we all have this opportunity. We have this opportunity to place Joshua's stone of accountability within our lives. You know, we can do that with our friends. We can do it with our coworkers. We can do it with our family. We can do it in the small groups that we might meet with within the week. I'm in a small group. We meet every Wednesday. Sometimes we actually don't talk about much other than what's going on with you. But at the end of the, end of the time, we always talk about, well, what's going to go on next week? What do you got coming? Well, you lay out a few of those things, and then you come back next week, and people go, so how'd you do last week? And if you don't follow up on it, guess what? You know, they hold you accountable. It works. What I can promise to you is that if you embrace Joshua's stone of accountability, and if you become a role model of being an accountable person, then others are also going to notice, and you're going to be an example that they're going to want to follow. That's Joshua's stone of accountability. The third stone I want to talk about comes from the book of Moses, our book of Exodus, and it's the story of a time when Moses was within those 40 years of wandering. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't a good time. It was a pretty bleak time, actually, when the Israelites were not only lost physically, but they also were losing their faith again in that cycle and pattern that I talked about. And they'd lost their faith in the Lord. And this manifested itself in a time when they came to a place where there was no water. And as they and their livestock could not drink and they were thirsty, the people actually attacked Moses, and they threatened to stone him. There's another one of those not-so-positive references that we hear about stones. At this point, their faith was so low that God became angry as the people tested Moses, and they were testing God, and they were wondering if God was going to take care of them or not. 
But as the God who provides, in the book of Exodus chapter 17, he leads Moses to a rock near Mount Sinai, and God does one of those visible and very physical miracles that I mentioned before. And you can see it in verse 6. God says to Moses, strike the rock, and water will come pouring out. Then the people will be able to drink. And Moses listens. Moses follows his direction. He strikes a rock with his staff. And the Bible then goes on to say, water comes gushing out. And the Israelites drank. I love this story because I think it's the story of a God who tells us, you know, while I don't want you to lose faith and I don't want you to be testing me, I'm still a God of refreshment and I'm a God of giving. And he uses this story to tell us that we should be the same. The Bible teaches us in so many places that we're to be refreshers to others in the lives that we live. Throughout the Bible, we have examples of people who are beaten down and persecuted. And many times, it's the encouraging word from a brother in Christ that actually brings them through their challenges. The Apostle Paul in Acts and Timothy tells over and over about the encouraging and refreshing word that he receives from others. And even David, little David, before he grew up to be king, he himself was being chased. He was about to be killed by the current king, Saul. And he was about to give up after being hunted day and night and actually having the people even reject him. And then his friend, his friend, and the Bible goes directly to it and says his friend, his friend Jonathan, came to him and gave him, gave him an encouraging word that he needed to go on. I sometimes wonder how things would have been different if Jonathan hadn't had the encouraging word. You know, we live in an interesting time. We live in a time where we can watch on television and be told that every type of hurting, every type of depression, every type of pain can be taken care of by the next new treatment. But yet somehow we've forgotten that with an encouraging word that is delivered in God's spirit, that we can actually lift others up. We can provide refreshment to others. And when we're on the other side, and we're the ones that need to be encouraged, we can also find it from others who we seek out and we ask them to give us an uplifting word or a positive prayer on our behalf. Lord, let us all have the stone of refreshing others as a living stone in our life. And this story also tells me that we're to have the stone of giving in our spirit. There are way too many, way far more examples of, of giving and how to give in the Bible that we're, than we could go into today. But suffice it to say that our Lord Jesus was the ultimate example of being a giving person. Yes, we all know that he made the ultimate sacrifice of giving his life for us. But we should also look at the example of his life as a giver to others when he walked the earth. He gave of himself to his disciples and his followers. You know, he not only ministered to the masses, but he took the time to explain and answer the questions that his disciples would have for him. He did this with patience. He did this with caring. And for this, they would honor him and they would call him teacher. And I, I don't know how he did it because, you know, I know one of the things that, that we all keep precious to us is our reputation. But our Lord gave up his reputation when he would live and eat among the sinners and among the detestable at the time. 
So, you know, regardless of where we are in our spiritual journey, whether we're a longtime believer, whether we're early in our journey, or maybe we're just still searching to see if we want to take that first step on the journey, we have many, many ways that we can be a giver in our lives. We have our financial resources that we can tithe with. We have our talents that we can serve with. We have our time that we can pour out and give to others who need it. We have our prayers that we can offer to the Lord for others. And I know this, we can surely have a generous and refreshing word, a positive encouragement, maybe sometimes even just a smile that can differentiate us from all others. We all have the giving spirit that's within us. The question is, are we going to choose to release it, to release it like the water was released when Moses struck that stone and let it gush out as a living stone within our lives? <coughs> Lastly, I want to talk about the stone of all stones within the Bible. This is the great stone that was placed before Jesus' tomb after he was crucified and then rolled away on the third day when he rose. In Mark 16, 4, it says, and you can see this in the handout, what happened when they, uh, Mary Magdalene showed up. It says, but when they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone, a very large one, had already been rolled aside. Now, whenever I try to put myself in the place of Mary Magdalene and the others who came to visit the tomb on that Sunday morning on that third day, I try to figure out what were their first thoughts as they either came around a corner or maybe they were coming straight down a path and they got to a point where within their vision they could see the tomb did not look like it was the day before, um, three days ago when they left. And what was in their head when, when they saw that the stone had been rolled back? Well, we know in the scriptures one of the things was they were startled. That word startled, that tells me that you know, and it reminds me of just how human we all are within our own faith. Because those that who were the closest to Jesus and would have been the most hopeful about his resurrection were startled and doubting. That it, and doubting. So, I mean, it's kind of no wonder that even today we don't hold on to and live out fully the hope that Jesus provided for us. The stone rolled away from the tomb is the greatest message of why we should be hopeful in our lives and bring forward that hope to others. You know, we're in a time where the word hope means so many different things. And who would have ever thought that it would be a debated word and actually a word that's become even polarizing? You know, as followers of Jesus, we can be the example to others on why we should tr live truly a hopeful life because the example we have is an eternal life to look forward to. We can walk and we can talk to the true hope that the world needs. Jesus also left us with the example and the challenge to be loving in all we do. He told us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Love them as we love ourselves, even when it's hard, and even when it challenges us to dig deep within ourselves to do so. You know, I believe it would be very hard to have a life legacy that is Christ-like if we're not loving in how we live. Because when we love others, I mean truly love them for who they are without judgment or without consequence, and we find as close as we can get to that unconditional love, that's when we're walking closer to where Jesus wants us to walk. 
in all honesty, in my heart, in my life, I'm challenged to do this. I find myself loving up to a point, and then I stop short because I begin to impose what I think the return should be or maybe what the response should be from somebody else. What I know is that the love that Jesus speaks about is not the love that I have. He models something different. And he says, you know, just love and love generously. That's the love he gave us. And lastly, you know, what a stronger message that comes from the stone at the tomb than the power of forgiveness. There is no greater model of forgiveness than Jesus. He forgave the others, although they didn't know what they did to him. He did that to forgive us of our sins. And as such, like we learned in the series before this one, in the Hurts of Life series, you know, we're to model that act of forgiveness and how we live. When that stone rolled back from the tomb, we were given the gift to have the opportunity to follow and believe in Jesus, the greatest gift one could ever have. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Jesus is called the cornerstone, the perfect stone to build our lives upon. So, whether we're already followers of Jesus, or we're at that point where we're learning and we're developing, or we might just be beginning, or we might be sitting here today going, I don't even understand this. What's, what's all this about? Regardless, we all still build a wall. We're all building our wall, day by day, on our actions and our faith, with a set of living stones that build one by one, us making our choices each day as for which stones will be set in, the, in place and where will become and what will become our legacy wall. As I was talking to one of the stone wall makers in New England, a mason, and we were talking about building these stone walls, because I'm, as you can tell, I'm quite fascinated by it. Um, he said to me that just as important as it is to find the right stones to put in the wall, it's actually even more critical that you not, he not choose the wrong stones to put in the wall. And I was sort of scratching my head about that until he went on to say that, you know, one odd-sized or irregular-shaped stone will cause him, as a stonemaker and a wall builder, to spend all of his time trying to work around that one stone. And when that happens, it can also attract attention to that one odd or irregular stone and basically take away all the beauty of the rest of the wall. What a great metaphor for those living stones that we have in our lives that are part of a, our legacy, but that when we look at our wall, we actually don't really want them to be there, but they are. You know, they might be older stones that snuck in our lives when we, we were younger and have just sort of hung around. They could be old habits that have been very, very hard to break. They could be parts of our personality that we know we should be changing, but we just haven't worked very hard at it before. It might be something that's lingering down deep inside of us that's holding us back from forgiveness of a friend or a family member. But what God wants us to do, He wants us to take a really good, strong look at our legacy wall and look at it today as the time to remove those old stones and replace them. Jackhammer them out 
if we need to, so they can be replaced with the new stones that we want to be part of our legacy. The beautiful thing is there's room for many, many stones in our wall. And the Bible gives us so many more examples that we can follow and, and extract from and, and, and see other stones that we should be placing within our lives. And God is building us day by day, living stone by living stone. And to borrow from Facebook, what God wants to do is he wants to write on our wall. <laughs> and he wants to write on our wall with his grace and his love. You know, all we have to do is be open. Open to letting him become the master mason, the master wall builder, and let him construct our legacy wall like he wants it to be constructed. Before we pray and the ushers come to receive our offering and the band gives us our closing song, I want to offer to you something. I want to offer to you your own stone of remembrance. As you leave today, back in the foyer on the right-hand side, you could pick up a little smooth stone, the little one, like David used to slay Goliath. And what I would offer to you, and what I would challenge you to do with this stone, is that whatever the Lord has put in your heart today, as you've listened, whatever those stones are that you know you should have in your life, and you know it's time to add them, but you haven't yet, or whatever the stones were that popped into your mind that said, you know what, it's time to get rid of them that you use this little stone that you pick up as that stone of remembrance, maybe the little stone of accountability like Joshua had, that you will follow through on those commitments. And you should do it just this week, just this week, so that when tomorrow comes and Tuesday comes and Wednesday all the way through next Sunday, you can walk through and say, I started with that little stone changing my legacy wall. You know, you can take the stone and put it in lots of different places. You can put it in the console of your car. Somebody last night said they were going to put it on the dashboard of their car. I said, that would not be a good idea. Don't do that. Um, put it on your dresser, on your desk, in your drawer, maybe in front of your computer, in your purse, or your, or your pocket. And let it become this week that stone of remembrance. A remembrance that each and every day we live, you know, we can actually say that day could be the day that we start that we start building that new wall, that new foundation, and that we set a stone firmly in place, and that this could be the day that the Lord will show me and show you what those stones are that we should remove from our life. Let's pray. Lord, you are an awesome God. You have given us so many examples and so many teachings and learnings in the scripture that we can follow, and so many opportunities for us to see the stones in our lives that you want to be there as part of our legacy wall. And Lord, you've also given us the opportunity to see those stones that should be removed. What I ask, Lord, today as we sit here is that you would give us the courage of David, the courage of the little boy who slew the giant, the courage and the conviction and the commitment to pick up some of those new stones and put them in our life, and just as importantly, to remove the other stones. And Lord, may we go out of here with our legacy wall being filled with conviction, commitment, courage. Lord, that you would give us accountability, that you would allow us to be refreshers to others who need the, the positive word that come from us. And Lord, let us be givers. And most importantly, let us be hopeful, hopeful for your return. 
Let us be loving in all that we do to our neighbors. And let us be forgiving. And let us start that forgiving today, Lord. Let this be our day because, as you say, this could be our day. Lord, let it be, there. Let it be our day. In your precious name we pray. Amen.